Hello and welcome back to the Dice Breaker Podcast. It's Friday. We're here. It's another. What, would you believe it? It's Friday. Uh, yeah. The weather's it's sunny-ish here. Um, I'm no David Lynch. I don't smoke enough cigarettes nor drink enough coffee. Uh, I'm Travis. I'm here as always on the Dice Breaker Podcast with Chase Carter joining us. Uh, our news reporter, who will be a familiar face to anyone that's on the website and, you know, is a regular watcher of the podcast. Thank you again for being back on, Chase. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I've am i finally earned that regular title. Feeling good. <laughs> it's always good to have you here. And Alex Meehan, of course. Uh, always great to see you. How are you? Yeah, if Chase is regular, I'm insane. Super regular. <laughs> I... For some reason, I can't hear the word regular without thinking of like the description of prunes and things like that, where it's just like such such a strange euphemism. Why? <laughs> you think... you you sounded like me. Uh, As a kid, I like genuinely that. thought when I saw that, like, oh, prunes keep you regular. Uh, when adults used to say that, I used to think that they used to like, in an old it would help people keep time. And but I did not understand that that's not what they meant. It's not like. Oh, it's the Swiss watch of fruits. What they meant was it poop, it makes you poop. Yeah, look, that's this is the kind of quality content you can expect from the Dicebreaker podcast mm-hmm. talking about uh, defecating. Look, we just got to get out of the way early. We know that it's always, hey, it's always the thing. It's like, yeah, know, I will PTP, say, time to poop. Yeah, done it. keeping regular is very good. I'd recommend it. <laughs> Um, it's very good for your health. Uh, yeah, fiber is good. <laughs> Dice breaker recommends. But recommend fiber. fiber. <laughs> and if you're the uh, any of our American audience, will be very familiar with Jamie Lee Curtis's Activia yogurt commercials. Oh wait, does Jamie Lee Curtis do they do adverts Jamie, in the US? Oh, Jamie we're Lee missing Curtis out over yep. here. I don't know she, who we get. Who do we she, get? Like she is the face of regularity. <laughs> I like to think she's into that. Yeah, I feel like Jamie Lee Curtis. Is it Nicole Scherzinger over here? Nicole Scherzinger advertised some kind of yogurt. Um, Yeah. It was the Greek, whatever the Greek one was. It's a Greek yogurt. But I don't think that's Activia. Oh, I can't remember. It was very stereotypically Greek. um, The the thing is, yogurt yogurt adverts go one of two ways. Either they're, it keeps you regular, or they're, Oh, how luxurious this yogurt is. Like, <laughs> when I'm watching YouTube or something like that, uh, there is a, a, a an advert that is now regularly on of, I think she's an Olympic athlete or something, and she's just lounging in, like, a fancy garden, and like some sort of goddess. And then there's a, a, a manservant there or something. And then a... A falcon brings her this this fancy yogurt, but it's like it's it's like a Miller one or something. And I'm kind of I feel like there's a very these are disparate things. Yeah, like uh, there's a there's a I will let this message show. Yeah, there is a there is a message from Pierre that says yogurt ads are weirdly horny sometimes, and they really are. Like I think it's because they're like number one, they're like oh only women eat yogurt, obviously. And number two, how do we get women interested in this yogurt? We'll make it horny. So, like, when you eat this yogurt, like, uh, again, obviously only heterosexual women eat yogurt. So then these handsome men will just turn up. And falcons, apparently. Mm. And falcons. So there you go. 
Uh, what do we do on this podcast, Matt? We talk about yogurts. Um, we digress immediately. I will say I had a very, I had a very good yogurt the other day. Uh, it had little bits of like dark chocolate in it. It was Matt's delicious. It review. was incredibly good. Um, also, in my in my middle uh, middle school uh, and uh, maybe upper school, uh, we had like a variation on bogies, which is something we've mentioned on this podcast before. The, oh, the okay. Dick and Dom and the yeah. Bungalow. Uh, sorry, <laughs> in the Bungalow uh, again. But we had a variation where people would just shout the word Muller. Like like the yogurt, um, and it was basically whoever could just shout the word Miller like loudest and not get told off by the teacher. And for a while, that was that was all the craze. It was just people shouting the word Miller. We um, we we had that in the states, but it wasn't a yogurt. It was a a different word. Oh, a word that is not safe for this podcast. But adolescents would sure play that game. Yogurt mm. seems tame in comparison. See, I yeah. feel like I feel like. <laughs> I feel like that ultimately goes against the whole point of the game when you use an inherently like very naughty word. Yeah, you need like something that's a bit you need, like you need a stealth you need a stealth word like bogeys or something. Because then initially someone might hear in the court like just slightly they might hear like the word bogey. Mm. And they might be like, oh okay, like I'll just carry on with reading my book or something. And that means you can stealthily get the bogeys in a bit more yeah. before it just becomes like, okay, people start clocking on that this is shenanigans. Mm. Whereas I, I like feel the, like... Yeah. I do like the use you... of like a double entendre, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, bogeys was never that. It was just like a <laughs> word that kids found funny because bogeys... Slime, all slime-based things children find amusing, and me. Mm. Are bogeys a slime-based product? I feel like they yeah. are a cousin to slime. Like, okay. they they share the texture and whatnot of slime, but they're not a direct descendant. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. As, as an American, I thought bogeys in the British parlance was related to, like, snot and boogers. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It is, yeah. It's not so, boogers, yeah. Yeah, that's slime based. They are slime. No, they not all the time. No. You can have Matt a there's like there's the like Dulux color chart, except it's like the bogey's like <laughs> flavor chart. Uh, like you've got you know you've got it's like eating a meal, right? It's like you've got the the aesthetic. Oh, don't talk you've about the texture. You've got the flavor. Honestly. There might be a smell but that's probably accounted for because it comes out of your nose to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> God just spoke to us. Yeah, God the voice of God is telling us, please <laughs> stop discussing bogeys. Move on. Yeah. Yeah. Please uh, stop, Matt Jarvis. Yeah. Should we talk about some board games and stuff? <laughs> yeah. Probably. Why not? Let's do it. Let's let's get into it. Uh, Chase, let's let's pass over to you. Mm -hmm. What have you been playing yeah. recently? What have you been up to? Uh, so in the realm of tabletop, I have been playing not much. I'm going to leave it to y'all to talk about Avatar because I'm running that game and I'm going to be really on my high horse if I talk about it. I want y'all to heat praise on each other and me. Yeah, you uh, just want to sit here and have us. <laughs> yeah, 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 like praise you. Like, Normally just, we're just like, yeah, our GM's really great. But when, when the GM's here, it's just that little bit more, you know, we can't get away with it. And mm hmm uh yeah so yeah no no back talking to me while i'm on this podcast it's the real reason i'm here uh but i i've been playing uh orbital blues which is an rpg that we wrote on the site whenever it first came out um it is by oh my gosh i you know wrote the names down and then forgot it so it is an rpg that's like based on and really drawing on um cowboy bebop and that whole like sort of like general milieu 
Um, so it's like a space Western where everyone's like dirt poor and you're just like trying to get by one paycheck to the next. Um, and it's, I mean, honestly, it's incredible. It's a, it, it's a very simple system. It uses like a 2d6, uh, resolution system where you have to, most checks, you just have to pass an eight. Um, so the mechanical wise, it's very, very like easy to jump in. And a lot of the really good, just like the delicious stuff about this game comes in the characterization. And then also this other system where you have a blue stat, which you acquire blues by getting into trouble and having things that like, don't go your way. Like for my character, who is the, uh, a member of like a odd space religion, whenever someone doesn't like your religion or like one, you have to act against one of your tenants, you take blues. And if you acquire enough blues, you have a scene that is, um, like your, your blues come home to roost, which is essentially, if you've watched Cowboy Bebop, it is the church episode. And that's how you level up. And that's how you gain more stats and more power and take on like more feats, uh, that sort of stuff. So it's incredibly cool the way that it uh, uses the sort of like an arc of like a, of a series of like the anime series, Cowboy Bebop, as like the way that you play the game, it garner experience and then level up. But all the while, as you get closer to leveling, the blues are going to abjectly affect your ability to do stuff. So things are just going to get harder and harder. Things are going to get more like rough. You're going to uh, encounter more sort of like trouble until it gets to this point where everything builds to a head. And then there's like a shootout or something from your past pops up, you know, a, uh, uh, um, uh, a disgruntled lover or a past rival or whoever you owe money to. And then you have to deal with that and you either die, which is very possible, or you come out a little bit stronger and you get to have that sort of scene where it's all about you and things are rough and you're going to get into uh, a lot of damage. But if you come out the other side, you know, you there's sort of that denouement and then the story can continue forward with this extra trouble on your shoulders, which is a really interesting way of taking a character concept where you don't have to know everything at first and slowly building that backstory and how it comes back to haunt you, which I mean, that's what all Cowboy Bebop is, is these sort of characters running from their troubles until the troubles catch up. Yeah, um, we were chatting about this a little bit in the uh, the new Slack that we have. Mm -hmm. And when you were describing the kind of mechanical, like the, the blues mechanic, it's like that, it just, it's something that I feel like I don't see in enough RPGs where there's some kind of progression tied to not just success, but also yeah. kind of the, like, you take the rough of the smooth as well. It's like, like you say, it builds to... These kind of big mm, moments mm. which aren't like... necessarily positive but move your character forward in a way that's interesting even if it's not just they're really great at something yeah i feel like that would really work with there is a witcher rpg which is that talzorian it is oh, it's not talzorian yeah, yeah. Oh, look at that right off the top of my head um <laughs> I'm a professional man yeah i'm slowly like turning myself into a, a library <laughs> mm. <laughs> just an index um yeah, there is a Witcher RPG, which I think uses like a fairly crunchy system that just like, hey, combat and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like a Witcher RPG would work really well with something like that, because to me, like the whole point of the Witcher, particularly like the television series, um, is Geralt does things and then they come back to bite him in the bar. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's not always his fault. It's not always like the decisions you make. He has good intentions most of the time, but it's just inherently the life of a witcher and the life of 
Geralt <laughs> and the people he kind of has to deal with just means that inevitably he is going to have to deal with the consequences of existing and also his actions. So I feel like if anyone were to make a, a snitcher RP <laughs> That's good. Um, that would really work in terms of like, hey, we don't need this massively complex combat stat system. Let's make a system based around narrative progression that happens to have similar ideas and worlds and things. So maybe I'll do that. Mm. Don't don't come for me, <laughs> tell Dorian. <laughs> I think it's it's also interesting, right? It's like things like The Witcher, I think particularly The Witcher video games, but the, the short stories kind of have this as well, and Cowboy Bebop. There are long periods in those stories where the characters essentially don't really do anything big. You know, mm -hmm. you do side quests or like Cowboy Bebop is like stuff involving food in a fridge. Like, th oh, but they build to, to those moments. Like in The Witcher, like you'll go off and do side quests, which can be self-contained things in their own right, or they can just be kind of short little interspersed like character moments or world building mm. things. But I really like the idea of a game that structurally like builds to like big moments of character development, plot progression, whatever it may be, mm. um, but so, builds in those natural gaps of not everything has to contribute to the one quest that you're on. Yeah. Mm. Like to me, one of the big themes of, again, like the Witcher, I have seen a little bit of Cowboy Bebop. Uh, we started watching it and then we stopped for some reason. But um, yeah, to me, like it's one of the big themes of the Witcher is like Geralt is screwed no matter what he does because the, ultimately the world is not very fair to mm -hmm. him and a lot of the people in it and it, it doesn't necessarily come across from like a mean-spirited or like oh this is so dark and edgy sort of right. way it's more like sometimes things can be really unfair and there's not much you can do about it yeah. ultimately you just have to find hope and like happiness where you can and i right. feel like the witcher is really good with that and again i think this system would really work in terms of sure those moments are going to come and bite you but you can also look for ultimately trying to find yeah like the light within the dark and there are a lot of really great stories series worlds that do deal with those kind of themes yeah um in one way or another what, another cool thing is that um, one of the conceits you begin each sort of like session or like sort of like little arc if whatever like adventure you're doing with no money. Like the whole reason you begin this adventure is because you are out of money, out of fuel, and you need to get paid and you need to buy some food. So like success is not it. It totally issues the normal. I I want to say normal. I guess like the conventional RPG goals of like accruing wealth accruing experience, accruing treasures, that sort of stuff. Like that's not really the point. It can happen and you can use it for certain means, but really the point is to play these characters that are desperately running from their past and going and ultimately failing to get away from it. And how do you reckon with your own past when it catches up to you in whatever form it does? Um, I think it's cool. I just wanted to note it's from the the developers of the game are Sam Sleeney and Josh Clark. It's published by Soul Muppet. Uh, really cool. It has like a uh, uh, if, if you can I think get a, a soundtrack that is developed just for the game, which is something that a lot of indie RPGs have been doing that I really love. And it's got there's a lot of folks uh, who wrote Adventure for it. Omedos wrote one. 
um, um, and a, a, a lot of other folks. So yeah, that, uh, for, pe- for people, just to have a reference, Mamitos is the creator of Ark, the RPG that we have a playthrough mm-hmm. of, and they they GM'd for us, and that was really funny and really great, so you should go and watch that. But yeah, sorry, Chase. Yeah. Yeah, um, we're right context. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's like that that game is I think really cool. Uh the the playthrough was uh a lot of fun. Folks should go watch it. Uh we're only a couple of sessions in. So like I'm playing with like my partner and a friend and a friend is GMing and so like we it's a duo which creates an interesting dynamic cuz it's just us sort of playing off of each other. Mm-hmm. Um and we're to that stage where we're just sort of creating trouble or getting into trouble and it hasn't come home to roost yet. So I'm really interested to see the role play possibilities when I, one of us has to deal with the consequences of our BS actions that we've sort of done up to this point. So I'll check back in it's, so far. It's a blast. So if you're looking for something that hits that sort of same narrative feel and is really rules light, you don't need to know a whole lot about the game to kind of hit the ground running and play orbital blues is I think a really good system for that. Awesome. Is there anything else you've been playing? Oh, yes. So out, I just real quickly outside of RPGs, like I started World Flipper, which is a mobile uh, gotcha game. Um, <laughs> listen, it's a gotcha game. So all the normal gotcha. sort of, yeah. So all the normal sort of stuff that like goes around with like, you know, gotcha games. And if, if you are someone who has like an addictive personality or you deal with like addiction around that sort of stuff, loot boxes or pulls, all that, it has all of that. That said, it's a really fun game and it's really great. It's a pinball. Like the whole thing, it's like it is a pinball gotcha game. It's like anime as heck. It's got all of that same storytelling elements, but the actual like fights, the stuff that you do is pinball. And it's a lot of fun and I really enjoy it. And so I don't Apex Penguin has asked Chase, what is a gotcha game? It's a uh, mm. Chase is saying gotcha, meaning like gotcha pon, which is yeah. like yeah. Chase, explain Gacha yeah. game. Yeah, so Gachapon uh, is a, like, I believe it started in Japan uh, uh, and has made it over here. It is it is largely like a Japanese sort of genre of games that uh, the whole point is, like, there is a roster of characters that you get by doing pulls from the Gachapon, which is, like, started as a physical, physical like, sort of, like, yeah. yeah, retail thing where there's, yeah, like... You probably a, you... have seen one of these things where it's, like, a machine Definitely. with balls in it, and then mm. you... You put in, like, put a couple of quarters or something, turn it, and a little random thing drops out, which yeah. is how these games work. You save up a certain currency, which, of course, you can buy with real money if you want to. Um, you put that money into the digital little Gachapon, and you turn the crank, and random things will come out. And normally mm. they are, like characters with star ratings from like one to five stars, five stars being more rare, but more powerful, um, that sort of stuff. You can ostensibly, if you just play long enough, get as much currency as you need over time to get everything. But the choice is always there for you to put your real actual yeah. dollars into the machine to get it faster. The company behind the game obviously wants its players to do that. But yeah. um, I, I, <laughs> I follow on Twitter, I follow like a, um, you know, you can follow subjects, like when people mention these things. Mm-hmm. So I follow, um, I follow Fire Emblem as a subject because <laughs> I love Fire Emblem as a series. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a mobile game called Fire Emblem Heroes, which I will not touch because 
of reasons to do with like I don't want to give that sort of thing my money but um I do follow people talking about it mm -hmm. and they just add characters from the series into that game uh and they added Claw to it and I was very tempted to <laughs> to play the game just for that but I I won't let it drag me in it's a trap you're stronger and, and than me Ragnar. Ian. yeah, yeah. Ragnar, which I identify that but um other than that, Chase, what, what's been going on? I've also, the other only thing, like, watching or playing, I started Jujutsu Kaisen, the yes. uh, fairly popular. I'm only a few episode, episodes in. I've just been watching it as I do chores and stuff like that because I just need something on in the background. Um, Matt, you seem excited. I'm not excited about this show. Really? Oh. I really like Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, Does it get good at a certain point? So I can't... I can't remember if I started slowing it and then it clicked, um, but definitely I it's one of the series that I've enjoyed most kind of over the last year. I think there's some really like good characters in it. I think they do really interesting things around the like the world and the ideas of it. It has a great <laughs> opening theme. Yes, that opening theme is fantastic. Uh, yeah, and the the animation of it uh, is absolutely incredible. Like particularly the fight scenes, the like the fluidity of the fight scenes is really outstanding. Um, so I don't know how far in you are, and to be honest, like I said, I can't remember if it Three took episodes. me like a few episodes to really click with it because obviously new series, new characters. Like the they almost certainly spend some time introducing that stuff. I think definitely at some point it probably clicks into overdrive. I remember it ramping up significantly at some point but whether i was already enjoying it before that i don't remember so it might I mean, not be for you but no see like that's the thing like listen i'm a sucker for a shonen and this thing is like this is shonen right like with oh, a yeah. capital s oh like, yeah uh for anyone who doesn't know like shonen is like a specific style of like manga and anime where it's like it's ostensibly for like boys but like I, whatever it's essentially it's naruto like if you've watched naruto you know what shonen is it's about uh, like a plucky hero uh or group of heroes uh who get stronger over time and just like keep keep going against larger and larger threats that force them to power up uh dragon ball z as well you know like th those two shows i think laid the groundwork for the conventional understanding of what shonen is and from what i understand jujutsu kaisen is it's still that but like kind of plays with some of the tropes right is that sort of the thing where it's like it understands that its audience may be tired of shonen and sort of like twists those things a little bit in the way it characterizes the members of the squad? I mean, I am not an expert on shonen stuff because I've never like watched Naruto. I've read a lot of One Piece, but um, okay. and I've seen too much Dragon Ball. Um, so I can't really speak to that. But I think there's there's definitely something in the way that it breaks out of that, like the, the kind of core premise, um, which is not really massive spoilers because it happens in like the first episode is that essentially the main character um has like the the villain inside them like yeah. inside the head uh they swallow a finger yeah. um and then this villain takes kind of possession of them um so they're told like oh like the the group of heroes is going to like kill you because you are now the villain but yeah you are also super powerful because you've swallowed the villain's finger. So we also need you to go and get all the other fingers first yeah. before we kill you. Uh, so there's like a fun kind of, um, yeah, element in the, rather than just being, like you say, like plucky hero who sets out to defeat Big Bad. It's actually mm -hmm. that Big Bad and plucky hero are one and the same for much of it. Uh, yeah, it's... I just would like to know, are, uh, are, 
Agya Raihan, I hope I said that name right, has just said, has Mian tuned out? Oh, yes. Mian <laughs> is fully, don't worry, guys. <laughs> I'm letting, I'm letting the two, I'm letting the two boys have anime time <laughs> while I'm just, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just flowing along. I'll wrap up anime time quickly. Uh, I'm I'm having some difficulty kind of putting my finger on where it's just not clicking with me because it has all the parts that I mm. should love. And I'm wondering if it's like, uh, so I will say, I am at the point where like the girl of the group showed up and they're about to go and kind of like test out the way they work as a group. And I'm sure it's going to go wrong and they're not going to have any like coordination skills and their mentor who covers his eyes which if you watch Naruto, you're like, oh, I know this. This is just everything that that show does um, is going to be like, wow, you guys need to train to actually work as a team instead of three powerful individuals. Um, the protagonist is maybe too competent at this point, I think is maybe my problem. Like, there's not enough for me to latch on and be like, why do I care about him? Like, he's nice and he's got a drive and all that, but there's no, there's no conflict inner conflict there there's no like man i don't know something is not i will okay now. if you haven't got past the point of like the fr the three of them going and so you've got yeah they're about should, to go you into should that keep watching because the cast of characters gets much bigger and i think that is where it really finds its stride because it is mm. for me like the characters are the thing that make that show like they are interesting i think you're right like the actual main um protagonist kind of isn't the most interesting part of that show it's like actually i find myself rooting for the villain <laughs> most of the time because the villain is just very fun um yeah, so i think that's right. where that's where it kicks in and there are a lot of good like interpersonal dynamics between like even side characters like they all have a lot to say mm -hmm. also there's just a character who is just a panda um which is great. i'm waiting i'm waiting for that panda in the yeah. intro there's a panda like parkouring over the top of a building i'm like show me that panda please yeah it's good. I would, I, yeah, I'd say stick with it. Like I say, it might, it might just not be for you, but I think you, it's, it's still ramping up from where you are. Like you still have a lot of characters to me. Like you still have kind of the main thrust of it to kick in. Okay. So I just wouldn't try so hard if I hadn't read from other folks, like people reporting on this and writing about it, critics saying like, dang, like this is a good show. And I'm just like, I don't, I haven't seen it yet. So I will keep watching. I'll check back in. We'll see if my feelings change. That's me. That's uh, that's been my right. week. It's it's been pretty busy, so that's it. Nice. Can I pop? Can I pop out the hole now again? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Welcome back. Yeah. Anime times. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it smells like octopus balls. Fried octopus balls. Oh, you mean takoyaki? Yeah. Yeah, takoyaki. Uh, <laughs> I'm back, everyone. <laughs> yeah, so I guess. No, basket. I. I'm glad that Matt has someone to talk about anime with. It's very nice. I'll be the lightning rod for these conversations. <laughs> the stealth it's... anime podcast continues to take shape. Yeah, it's like taking my dad out to like a nice a nice holiday and then he finds <laughs> someone to talk to about I don't know, anime in this case. So <laughs> on a related note, it was recently my birthday and my family never know what to buy for me. Uh, so my wife kindly uh, advises them and it's always a case of it's it's books, it's vinyls, it's a vinyl, sorry, uh, and it's it's movies, uh, you know, of which there are normally some which are kind of anime or like very kind of niche, like schlocky horror films. Um, and every every birthday since probably uh, the age of thirteen, it's just a case of my family going, 
I don't know what this is, but here you go. It's like, I was told <laughs> to buy this for you. Like, I will never talk to you yeah. about this again because I have no interest in it and no understanding of what it could be. Mm. Um, I mean, like, I get a little bit of that as well from my parents. Like, <laughs> I asked for a board game this year and they were like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> they, they looked at it and it was really big and they were like, oh, that's big. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thanks, Mom. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of know the feeling, but probably not quite as much. <laughs> uh, right. Is that everything, Chase? Mm -hmm. Wonderful stuff. Brilliant. Uh, Matt Jarvis. Oh, I'm not going to. I was going to throw over to you, but I can go if you want, because I'm, I'm not particularly exciting this week. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> as if anyway. But you'll be glad to know it's probably the last week that I'll uh, discuss Descent Legends of the Dark because, <laughs> oh, reader, I have finished Descent Legends of the Dark. Yeah. Yeah. So I am now in the process of writing the review of it, although it's taken a little longer than I expected because Gen Con has been happening this week. We'll get onto that. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so it, it took us between 35 and 40 hours to finish the full campaign. So we did all the side quests. Um, it's worth saying, and I'll note this in the review as well, we played about 15 hours of that using a pre-release version of the app, um, and then the game was released, so we then started using the app that was on Steam, and we continued our campaign. Um, I wrote on the site uh, when I was about, I think I was about 10 hours in at the time, about how much I really liked Descent Legends of the Dark's app. And I still like Descent Legends of the Dark's app. However... Having got to the end of that campaign, I have reservations about it that I think in a game that is a third of that price, um, or even half of that price, would be the kind of thing where you go, ah, oh, you know, like, it's it's a good game, it has some flaws. I think at, the, at almost 200 pounds, 175 quid, 175 dollars, it's a lot harder to overlook kind of like small thing, like small cracks, because they feel that much bigger in a game of that size of that investment, both in terms of money and time. So like I say, we finished the campaign and at some point during the campaign, we were, you know, we were progressing through, we were getting equipment, we were upgrading our characters, you, you gain experience so you can have more skills, you can use some of the things you pick up to craft new weapons. Um, and a lot of that is randomized in terms of the skills you get from certain, um, they're like achievements. If you do certain actions a number of time for each character, you'll unlock skills or recipes or whatever it may be. And you, the weapons you gain from chests are also semi-randomized. So you could pick up uh, kind of a newer version of a weapon you already have, or you could just pick up a different attachment that you can swap out. And by the end of that campaign, we had several kind of like dozen different attachments for the various weapons, um, which is all handled in the app. You can kind of change like the pommel of your sword or the handle of your sword. Um, and they give you different um, effects, which most of which are handled in the app. So if you're just changing attachments, for instance, you can have, you've got 30% to inflict a status on an enemy when you attack, or you've got a 10% chance to um, be able to use a skill for free, uh, which is all well and good, except we were going fine. We, I think we had only kind of lost one mission, one scenario in the whole of it, and it was because we we essentially just waited around too long. We kind of took a too cautious approach and it was actually kind of a timed scenario. Mm. Um, so we got, we, it was a rescue mission. We rescued kind of three of the 
people that you needed to rescue, and then we ran out of time for the fourth. So we got close. But at some point in that campaign, things just fell off a in terms of how difficult it was. And we lost five or six missions in a row. To oh, the wow. point where we were questioning, because we had done all the side quests, we'd got everything we possibly could um, in terms of equipment. We were using every skill we had at our disposal. We were equipping the best armor we had, the best weapons we had, et cetera, et cetera. And we just found it impossible. It just felt like there were so many enemies, and the enemies' points could wipe us out in the space of a single turn. Like They would be doing half of our health with each attack, to the point where I actually, and this is not a position that most people who pick up this game will be in. I was I actually ended up emailing Fancy Flight, which is the publisher, to say, hey, like we're finding it really difficult. And we we loaded up, so we were playing with two players. We loaded up some kind of um dummy sessions with four players um and three players as well to see if it adjusted the health values and the, the damage values of enemies. And it didn't appear to. So I then ended up emailing Fancy Flight's um PR to ask, hey, like, is this how it should be? Um, and they said, yeah, it, it does scale to different player counts. Um, and apparently, effectively, the way it works is the, the AI app gets a number of points that it can spend on, for instance, spawning enemies or spawning enemies of a certain level or difficulty. But it just felt impossible, um, particularly towards the end. And I can't imagine how you could spawn more enemies, because at points we were running out of figures because there were so many enemies on the map. And it felt like if we stayed to try and fight them, we would run out of time for kind of time-sensitive events, objectives, or we would just get torn apart because you can attack once or twice in a turn, but if there are four enemies, they each get an attack. So you can very quickly just go down. And, it, yeah, it started to just frustrate, and that, that was on top of... Um, bugs that kind of popped up in the app as well, some of which have been patched. There have been multiple patches to that app now, but there are still some bugs that are persisting. Um, so at one point, one of the, um, like I say, you unlock skills and so on for different characters by doing different activities and actions. And for one of our characters, it just broke. It was like, you've unlocked everything. And it was 20 hours in, and all the other characters kept going. So for that character, we just couldn't unlock anything more. We didn't even have the opportunity. And because it's all handled in an app, it's not like we can, you know, grant ourselves those skills and try and balance it out. Yeah, no fudging. Exactly. So I think, like I say, on the on the whole, I I really do like that game. I think the the central gameplay experience of it is really good. It's a really good dungeon crawler. It's not gonna blow you away in terms of like you still move on a grid, you roll dice to attack, you do the thing, there's a different magical MacGuffin in every level. Um, that's the way it goes. And I think on the table, the visual presentation is kind of like second to none. The free, the, some of the level designs, which is not a, a term you use often in terms of board games, but here it makes perfect sense because you have 3D aspects. You have multiple levels and kind of intercrossing stairways and you can jump down or climb up. Or the, at one point we built a literal tower that was ascending from the table. And it makes a huge difference. It is a really kind of, impressive like cinematic um game like you know it's it really is something but i think like i say these these small things that just started to kind of eat away at the experience a little bit where it's like we were throwing ourselves into what just felt like a wall that we couldn't break through we didn't know what more we could do we tried attempting missions in kind of different styles so some we would just go for broke and just try and get to the objectives like rush the objectives first see if we could outrun any enemies that would 
like knock us down, wound us, and then finish us off and defeat us. And then others, we would play it much more methodically and try and take out the enemies one by one. But we just couldn't, and maybe maybe we just got unlucky with the weapons that we had, because by the end of the campaign, there was a single potion that we were able to use the upgraded side of. Everything else was just interchangeable. So we didn't get better versions of the things we had. We just got stuff that did different effects. But you can't equip it all. You can only equip you know, two attachments to each weapon. And we were collecting materials so it wasn't like we had run out of materials because there were just no recipes left so maybe we just got unlucky with the randomization but by the end of that game i felt like the experience had just kind of soured me a little bit on it and i think if it was a 50 pound game or or even a 100 pound game you know for 35 40 hours um potentially longer if you're playing with more people i think we were we were getting through it quite quickly because we were reviewing it and so on um you know that's it's it's definitely i can see see it being like something that will last you and for the i think for someone who's not playing it for review 35 to 40 hours of gameplay in a board game is a long time you know that's potentially like each scenario is about an hour to two hours so if you play one a week that's six months eight months something like that but i think the the small kind of flaws and you know they could get patched later it could just be that we got unlucky but from our experience, having gone through all of that, by the end, it had gone from being a really, really enjoyable game. You know, probably one of the best games I've played this year. And I think by the time I got to the end, I had started to just feel like almost a little exhausted by it, a little bit worn down by just small things that, like I say, in a, in a different game wouldn't be such a problem. In mansions where everything's self-contained in a single scenario, it's not really much of an issue. But when you hit something like that bug that locks you out of skills for the rest of the campaign, you either have to replay 15 hours and have completely different, because of the randomization elements, have completely different stuff there, or you just have to push on through and accept that that's your lot for the rest of that campaign. And I think that that's a really difficult thing. And I think for the price that it is, that makes it quite a hard thing to wholeheartedly recommend, which I feel before, you know, 20, 25 hours in, I probably would have been being like this is this is really something i still think it really is something but now there are just these kind of caveats and i think especially given the price you know that just make it that much harder to just really like fully get behind and be like this is incredible and it's a shame because the characters are great the story's great i like the art style you're wrong if you don't like it like it looks great like wow there are well there have been some people like oh wow uh They've changed the outside. I think it, like, I genuinely think the visual style is great. I think they do a really good yeah, job with the I've style seen, of that world and the miniatures. I've um, seen some of the artwork. I've seen particularly the character designs, and I'm like, that's really cool. I really like the way those characters yeah. look. They look distinctive. And the storytelling is nuts and bolts fantasy. There's a there's a big bad. There's a load of MacGuffins that you have to go and get. You know, it's not gonna blow you away that way. Uh, that way, but I think actually the mini arcs with the characters and the kind of the small dramas that they have within their own like uh like backstories are really interesting i started to actually be like oh i'm interested to find out you know how this resolves hmm. but like I say that's it's kind of a shame because like the broad strokes like I say fantastic and it's just the small things that just started to really snowball to the point where it's like yeah i i don't know if i could just say to someone or even to a group of people hmm. like you should put 200 quid and 40 hours into this i don't know i need to this is 
you know, I'm still working on the review. I'm kind of working through my process here. The po a podcast is not the place to have the absolute definitive opinion on this. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, I've ended up very kind of mixed on it, I think. Still leaning towards positive because I think if they can smooth those out in patches, but as it stands, you know, those issues are there. It's not something where you can be like, well, they might fix it in the future because they might not. And if you're putting in literally hundreds of pounds and dozens of hours, that's a big kind of thing to to ask. So yeah, so that's where I've ended up with Descent. Uh, do, you, do you feel like the game has hurt itself by trying to put everything like such a long, big experience in a single box? My thought listening to this is that if you have the technology, the app, it would almost make sense to break that up into more affordable, surely, and like more digestible chunks of campaigns where you can have sort of smaller arcs and carry those through like different boxes and then just use the technology as a through line. Well, the kind of wild thing is that that is what they're doing um, because this is Builders Act 1. So this is their smaller digestible chunk. Oh, gosh. And they've, uh, they actually, wow. we'll, we'll get onto it in the news section, but Fancy Flight confirmed that Act 2 is in development and they kind of showed off a miniature that was this tall versus this tall for Bennett. Um, oh. But yeah, so this is their kind of digestible chunk. And obviously the fact that it will continue and the fact that Act 2 is already in development, if it uses the same app, like presumably they'll smooth out those bugs. But the fact is, right now, like, like I say, could I wholeheartedly say you this is worth £175? It's probably not. That's the that's kind of the rub of it. It's like mm. this is a fantastic game, but there are flaws in it. Like, and they are not flaws that you can necessarily overlook because they could and for me did impact the experience of playing mm -hmm. and like you say like if it if it were a 10-hour campaign that wouldn't feel as big a sting because it's like oh you know we'll get through this and then we can maybe start again and so on but 40 hours it's like losing your save you know like back in the days of memory cards right it's like getting 20 hours for a game and then losing your save on a memory card it's really hard to be like, I, no matter how much I love this game, like putting another 20 hours because I, I haven't finished it or I haven't seen what it is meant to deliver is a is a difficult ask. So, yeah. Kids, ask your parents about external memory cards. <laughs> I, yeah, I could feel myself aging like the end of Last Crusade, as I said. Um, um, it kind of, it kind of, I was just going to say, Matt and I were talking earlier this week because Matt was telling me about his feelings on it. And I was like, it sounds like you feel the same way about this as I feel about the Divinity series. Like, mm. Divinity, Original Sin 1 and 2 are games that a lot of people really like. Uh, I think they're really, don't get me wrong, I think they're very good. I'm glad they exist. I like the fact that developers are making isometric, you know, computer tabletop role-playing games. Mm -hmm. That's a very confusing term, but it basically means, imagine D&D, but in a video game. Yeah. Um, where like combat and attacks are determined by dice rolls and stats and things like that. Uh, and we played through, my friend and I played through the first one and it was a very, very, very mixed experience. The second one is a very mixed experience <laughs> where uh, it's impressive the amount of free reign that they give you where you can just do this thing and you're like, I'm going to try and do this thing. And you, you're not 100% like, sure it's going to actually produce anything. And then it does, and you're like, okay, that was wild. Uh, but on the other hand, that game is terribly balanced. I get really cross about that game because it's really unforgiving. And it, it at moments, it feels like the game hates you. Mm. It's like, I hate you. You're an idiot. 
you're you think that you can like explore this world and not run into a battle where the enemies are three levels higher than you and obviously you'll never win this battle because like if they're even two levels above you you're screwed uh and then it will just do things to you and it doesn't explain it to you because obviously the game is designed for you to work these things out yourself which is fair enough uh but also it's just it feels very unfair sometimes where you just something happens and you don't even understand why mm. or like what you could have done to prevent it or anything and also like most the most advice we got from people is like oh you should have looked at the pre-build like you should have looked at like the character builds that people have put on 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 the internet yeah. before like starting the game and i'm like i should not <laughs> have to do that to experience this game and not feel like i'm being crushed like constantly mm. like we should be able to have fun and work these things out you know but not feel like the game is punishing us for not optimizing our characters you know like i wanted to make a character that was that i have fun with and i do have fun with it don't get me wrong it's not a game that's like you know i hate every moment of it otherwise we wouldn't be playing it <laughs> and we played it for over a hundred hours <laughs> we're sort of near the end um but also there's just moments where we'll spend hours on a single fight and we're like, that's not fun. It's just trial and error mixed with randomness. Because sometimes, like, for example, when you charm, it feels like when you charm the enemy AI, they take stupid pills and they just become like, like just do things. You're like, what? Why would you waste your turn doing that? It is, it's a game that I understand why people like it so much. And I don't get me wrong, I think it's ambitious. I'm glad it exists. And obviously the fact that I've played it this much and we want to finish it is is a testament to the fact that it's not complete garbage. But it has so many issues that make me cross. And I'm just like, I feel I feel like our opinions are semi-similar in terms of like the way Matt feels about Descent is the way I feel about Divinity. This yeah. is how I sort of come to understand Matt's feelings about this game is like, that sounds like how I feel about Divinity. Like it's very ambitious. It's very impressive what it does. The story is... <laughs> um, uh, but like the scope of it is pretty cool. Mm. Uh, but also there are so many, again, like difficulty... Uh, balancing issues in that game uh, but I feel like Divinity's problem is is just you have an area and you're supposed to be the right level for it but then you can just stumble across a fight that you clearly are not the right level for and if you're not the right level for it you're done unless you get lucky or you find some way to like sort of mess with it and get over the situation so yeah, yeah it's sort of the worst tendencies of both like a d20 system and like computer role-playing games yeah like both like it, it sort of falls into the pit traps of or the pitfalls of both of them oh and glitches areas. as well glitches and bugs sure. yeah mm. i mean this... yeah just watch a speed run of that game and you'll understand there is so much exploitable stuff in that <laughs> yeah Which... we're not trying to exploit <laughs> it we're just we're just we're just like stumbling like the other day we were in a fight and a character like one of my friends uh character that they were they were controlling like a summon they just could not do anything with it it just decided like no i'm not going to do that thing and there was no explanation why it just decided and again i think this comes from like um the game being so big and so many possibilities like yeah. within it naturally they're going to be bugs and glitches 
that come from that and they just haven't this is not me having a go at the qa team at all like it get, trying to fix this stuff is really difficult i'm sure it's a bear part, yeah yeah for the most part like it's not been a major problem but it just like matt said it's just these little things building on top of one another that just every time like we joke whenever we open up the game we're like back into hell like <laughs> back into fantasy hell <laughs> to that point matt is is this that something that can be balanced is that like sort of difficulty spike something that the game can fix well that's what i mean it's like that's why i emailed them and apparently it is balanced correctly like it should be balancing but it just felt like our experience and i can only speak from the experience we had like you say for most of it it was like it was a good challenge but we were getting through like sometimes we would take so you can be wounded then wounded then the on the third wound you are defeated like if any character takes three wounds they are defeated um and the whole party fails and we were getting close on certain missions but it felt just right and i think that's why when it suddenly just seemed to the difficulty curve ramped in a way that was just out of nowhere and we felt like we had missed something we went back through the rule book and we were looking at all the cards and looking at every possibility we had to upgrade things or swap things out or you know just reconsider how we were using things so like i say we, we tried different missions in different ways and it just seemed like nothing would really help and I think that was what was so frustrating about it is like we didn't we couldn't tell whether it was just the app kind of I feel like we had had other issues with the app yeah so, I reckon the app was glitching this is my 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 theory is I feel like that's it, an easy out though is to say oh well it's just glitched like mm. like I think you could very like, much be right because it's definitely buggy it's the case of like they they said it scales right yeah but you said it didn't make a difference when you added more players. Well, as far as we could tell by health values and damage, but they well, were then... saying but it scales in different ways. So sometimes it will spawn more monsters. Other times it will spawn higher level monsters. And so it's hard to judge that without having a direct one for one, because obviously if it's like scaling different ways, we were largely looking at health values and damage values. And those seem to be roughly on par. But it might be that the missions we looked at you know, just happen to be missions where it's relatively flat mm. regardless. So it's difficult because it there's difficult. so much in that game and you yeah. can't see the background workings. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly the same thing with the... I wonder whether it should be the case of you should have, like, you should just have four characters. Like, that feels um, bad, though. Regardless you know? of regardless of we players. Did, yeah, so we did check the book to see, like, oh, should we have been using four no, characters? No, I'm not saying it's good. Yeah, 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 I'm but... just saying... And they say, like, oh, if you're playing single player, which is an option, you use two characters. And then for every other player count, you just use the number of characters that you have. And you can use more, obviously, because it's just those characters just take turns. But we were right. using two each thing because it oh, was. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, oh, because okay. that's what it suggested for two players. Yeah. All so right. Okay. What's the optimal experience then? Right. Yeah. So Ooh, that's yeah. not great. Oh well. We um, Matt and I have both had our rants about our respective yeah. role playing game sort of experiences but like yeah my whole thing was just explaining how how i understand what, where matt's coming from yeah it's like i've not experienced divinity but i feel like i've experienced sorry i've not experienced descent but i feel like i've experienced something similar to that so yeah and i think the, the thing to take away from this is it is a real mixed bag it's like I say the highs are very high the lows have been low but i think actually i am keen i need a break because we played it very intensely for review purposes but I am keen to play it again with a group because I really did enjoy the large 
bulk of that game i really do like yeah. it a lot like the core loop of it is really fun and the world is fun and the way those levels come together and are interactive is really really good it's just the little things around the edges mm. that really kind of and like i say it's like a snowball effect of like in one mission it's like oh that's that's a bit irritating but it's over the hours and hours that that then becomes a bigger issue i wonder um, if the future releases and this is not an excuse because this again, like Matt said, this game costs $175. That's a lot of money. But I wonder if in future installments they they are going to learn from mistakes and because it sounds like the system foundation is good. It just sounds like they've got a lot of things to work out. Unfortunately, they should have done those things before releasing this game. Uh, because again, it costs $175. Uh, but maybe in these future installments, they'll they'll improve things in that regard. But yeah, no excuse. But that's that's uh, it's just a theory. Yeah, but full full review will be incoming. Like I say, I'm working yeah. on it. I'm trying to work through to, at some point some of my own thoughts because there's that a is... process from 40 hours of gameplay. Yeah. Uh, Number it's been one, a roller coaster. Matt is a very busy person, as it is. Number mm. two, this game is very long. Number three, trying to write a review, especially when you've got mixed feelings about a game, is hard. So, so yeah, give him some time. Business. Yeah, uh, but definitely check in on the website. There will be a review. And if you're interested in whether you want the game or not, maybe you already know by now. But like, hopefully the review will kind of settle some yeah. some ideas whether you think it's worth the investment or whether you'd rather wait into the future installment where they might fix some things and yeah stuff like that it's a, so, it is yeah. a really promising first step um but yeah uh moving on quickly because i took a while on descent uh we continue to play avatar our gm unnamed nameless who could it be uh is very good i'm really in, like really enjoying that rpg i think like our session we had this week was i said at the time yeah. was one of the best rpg sessions i've like i think I just, i've ever had and like obviously Part of that was the GM, part of that was the players and the characters, but also I think that system provides a really good structure for that mm. kind of storytelling, this... a lot of character kind of moments that really popped off and came together in, in a way that felt like an episode of Avatar or Korra, like genuine mm. moments of connection and and fights that weren't just people punching each other and seeing who falls down first, but fights that could be interrupted by moments of like character interaction or even you know story development in people like talking and interacting that way so yeah i think mm. I'm, I'm really enjoying that rpg yeah early this week in our news slack channel i just get a little message little message from from matt jarvis <laughs> just saying oh i just want to say i really enjoyed that session we did the other day and i was like yeah no i'm i right now i was raving to wills about the avatar rpg system and how like i think it uses powered by the apocalypse so incredibly well because the thing is there are a lot of powered by the apocalypse games uh and some of them just feel like skins on top of an existing system and that ain't great because like what's the point you know you're not really taking full advantage of the system i feel like if you're just doing that and avatar really doesn't feel like it's doing that it really feels like it's utilizing a pretty strong base you know system and making it into Avatar, like having just recently finished Korra, which was really good. I love Korra. Um, that ending. Um, yeah. Watering your crops. I know, watering my crops. Um, I, you know, like just makes me when I play that 
uh, RPG just makes me remember how much I love Avatar and Korra because the, mm-hmm. the RPG is designed for you to make what feels like episodes of Avatar and Korra yeah. <laughs> because the, the, the mechanics are based around encouraging moments and character development. They're, they're not really based around, oh, you roll this dice and you fire off a fireball or something. Like these are like, oh, you comfort someone because something's happened in the in the story, in the narrative, or or like you gain a condition that affects how you respond to things later on. You know, it the the mechanics feed into the narrative and the narrative feeds into the mechanics. And mm. like that is why the system works mm-hmm. as well as it does. And it means that we are role playing right now in a really we're really like, we're, we're really doing it <laughs> I almost did a bad word because I got so into it but like we're, we're just coming away from sessions and just being like that was so good like we yeah. almost had someone cry in our session because it was it was just such a lovely moment and yeah I feel like I've become my best role-playing self when I'm playing I that game a lot it of might the time. Be my favorite character I've ever played honestly yeah your character uh, is so good uh, and th- there's still so much potential for for development mm-hmm. from all of us but we're getting like little little crumbs yeah I will say that the session we did this week as well the combat started to make more sense to me I think like Chase you wrote a really good preview um on the site and I think I still I still think that the combat is the weakest part of that mm. game. Um, yeah. I'm still not entirely won over by kind of the simultaneous uh, reveal, um, which essentially right. is like, do you attack? Do you defend? Do you, uh, is it evade or block? Something like that. There yeah, are like, three... like watch. That's it, yeah, observe. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, yeah, I feel like it's a little, it doesn't quite get there for me i like the fast exchanges and then the ability to do things in between that structure i like but i think i think they preface too much of it like i think there's Mm. too much like sort of building on the front like they can make it a lot more streamlined and also something that really clicked with me sorry me and i'm gonna just jump in real quick and yeah i'll let you go the thing that i think made combat make sense to me is that combat is not like a phase like you see in like you know D D or something like that where you enter combat and then you're just in combat till it's over mm. combat is a move much like a lot of the other moves empowered by the apocalypse where once you do that move it can end and you can just go a different way you can choose that combat is now over and you don't it is up to the pcs to choose to continue combat and i think thinking about it in that way where you use it whenever it it is it would make sense or it's your final choice. Otherwise, use your other moves because combat mm-hmm. should be the short little exchange and then you move on. Yeah, yeah. Again, just like in Avatar and Korra, like you have exactly. Yeah, exactly. Those little just like in in those action scenes, the the people involved will sometimes stop to have like little mini exchanges before they kind of carry on. Or, or choose to to stop entirely. Mm-hmm. I think again, like it just amazes me how much the system is feels like it's designed around the show. What makes the shows so good, yeah. but also like compared to other combat systems, I will take this one any day of the week. Compared to like you know D anD D or whatever, where it just feels like combat goes on forever, mm-hmm. and like yeah. you, you just you just like you just phase out of existence for a bit when like when someone not, else is taking their it's not your turn you're like yeah. it's it's just like this is taking so long and it's not it's a hundred percent a lot of the time not relevant to what i want to do or or anything whereas i feel like again in the last session we have with that combat we were paying attention to what what we were all doing because 
it all fed into the situation and like what i was going to do was dependent on what was happening with another person and... y'all set up like this beautiful combo yeah you used your two moves to like do something uh like you like wedged a, a bit it of earth so into cool. thing. you did like a little hop up and then like did a almost a coup de gras on the enemy like it was oof. It Felt was it was great. a again it was like a cinematic moment where you're like this could be in in the show but yeah. um yeah sorry for derailing that Matt anything no, else good. you have to add uh we've had our anime uh moment our anime section but I will say that I finished Arjun Demi Human I did not like it I think it's not a great show it doesn't look very nice I think the storytelling is bad uh, and it doesn't resolve at all I would not recommend it I don't understand it was top on a lot of like horror lists and i just don't think it's very good it, this it's bad storytelling because people do things only because it furthers the story rather than actually making any ounce of sense um i'm not going to go into it i didn't like it at all uh also watched uh giovanni's island um which is a film that takes place during the tail end of world war ii is about the soviet occupation of um kind of an an island chain just off the coast of japan it's very good it is very sad it is kind of it's not grave of the fireflies but we <laughs> yeah. were sobbing at the end just it then silent through the credits are like oh, oh no like, i can't do one. this but it, um, it also involves like it it centers on the kind of perspective of uh, younger children going through that um so i would say that it's a good film but obviously if you decide to watch it be aware that you need be, to be in the right kind of uh, headspace for that yeah, and for, right. to know what you're getting into. But I would recommend I, it as a film. It was I found it really kind of very moving and powerful. I will never forget <laughs> a trick, not tricking, but like having my friend and I sit down and watch Wolf Children and I knew what was coming and the other person didn't. And within like the first 10 minutes of that film, we were just so much and they were like why didn't you why did you let me do this and I was like and I was crying as well even though having watched the film already uh and I was like I just wanted to feel something just like oh. <laughs> that film destroyed me but um uh, yeah is that everything Matt Job? that's everything Alex Meehan right five minutes let's go I will I will squeeze everything I've done into the smallest amount of time possible um because we got other things to get onto, but um, yeah, I've not really played uh, much tabletop stuff this week. Uh, I played Unmatched yesterday with Liv mm -hmm. for the stream. Uh, fun video. I really want to play that game. I really want to play yeah. that game. Same. So good. Like Unmatched is is just such a great system. Uh, really would recommend it. It's a little skirmish kind of game with miniatures and like decks of cards, and you basically perform actions using your cards and. The premise is like these people from like either public domain IPs, like the kind of main releases. Um, so in the first one is like King Arthur and and Alice from Wonderland and stuff. And then they also have the licensed ones, which is wild because they got like the Velociraptors from Jurassic yeah, you Park. Have, like, and Bruce Buffy. Lee fighting a T Rex. Yeah, <laughs> Bruce Lee. Um, but like they they do with they do it with real love. Like the decks are based around. They feel like they're themed around these characters on their kind of approaches and things like that. And I feel like that's real effort put in. They mm. haven't just like whack whatever mechanics they want on top of the character. It makes sense within who they are. 
And also the artwork is just incredible. They don't just take screenshots from like a series or something, for example, and put that on the cards. Don't do that because it sucks. Uh, they've done like artwork that looks really great. Um, I'm really looking forward to volume two because the characters in that look so awesome and amazing. Again, it doesn't change the system entirely. It just it just adds some new characters and a new board and things. But like, I think the, the characters enough are enough to like draw me in because they feel kind of very distinctive. And they're not always 100% well balanced. I'm convinced that King Arthur, for example, in volume one is kind of rubbish. Um, whenever I, I've, whenever anyone has played them, they always lose with King Arthur. It just sucks. Uh, whereas Medusa just like wipes the board with anyone because she's great. Um, whereas other characters have better balance. But like to me, I'm not really that fussed by that because I feel like the the experience is good enough to kind of make up for that potential issue. So that's great. Um, uh, I've, I've not played any other tabletop games other than that and Avatar this week. I'm hoping I'll play some more soon. So I have more to talk about in that regard. Uh, which is kind of great while I go last because I don't have a huge <laughs> amount to say. Um, other than that, uh, like I said, I finished Korra. Love it. Uh, I want more Avatar. Apparently they're making more Avatar. I'm concerned because uh, there's that Netflix live action series, which I couldn't give a rat's fart about mm. uh, because one, the creators of the original show basically left because they have created differences. So kind that's already, right yeah, mm. that's already a red flag when I'm like, mm, not great. So even though, for example, they did a great job with the Witcher, there is potential there, but they've shown they can adapt things before, but also Netflix has created a lot of bad things. Uh, and also, I'm kind of like, why live action? Stop! Like, <laughs> the one of the great things about Avatar and Korra is the fact that it's animated. That's what part what makes it so good. And even yeah. Avatar Studios, which is like the actual creators' kind of new company thing, they're making a live action series. I'm like, stop! No, we don't want it. That's the market, even, though. I just hate it. Um, mm -hmm. But they are doing an animated series as well, which is the one that I'm interested in. Um, so that's cool. Uh, I also watched um, that Witcher animated film on Netflix, oh, which yeah. is quite good. The Nightmare of the Wolf, uh, which is Bessemir, uh, who is great. And they mention uh, Lambert, which makes me laugh for a very specific part of The Witcher 3, which some people might recognize. But yeah. Chase is nodding. I can't mm -hmm. say it on this podcast because it's rude, but um, it always... That game is just rude in a lot of ways. <laughs> but that particular, those particular lines always make me laugh when I think of them. But it was good. Um, the animation was actually done by the people who did uh, Korra, so that's why it looks so good. Um, so I would recommend that as long as you can deal with violence, a lot of violence, uh, similar to how you might if you like Castlevania. So if you like the Castlevania animated series, you probably like this as well. It is just a film, and if you already know the rough story of The Witcher, it's it's you, nothing new in terms of narratively speaking, but mm -hmm. it was still good. I enjoyed it. Um, and then I started Mass Effect 2, so... Do you are a Mass yeah, Effect fan? <laughs> What's that? You're a Mass Effect fan? I had no idea. Yeah, who would know? <laughs> There was literally no indication that that could be true. Right. Nowhere. Yeah. Um, 
I finished one. One's fine. It's got its problems. I do love it. I have a lot of affection for that game. The soundtrack is incredible. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite video game soundtracks ever. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's just so unique. It's so insane. Oh, it's just so good. And they got rid of some of that in in the sequels. They went more orchestral, which is fine. Suicide Mission is such a fantastic track that I'm like, okay, but also I miss my synths, please. Uh, They're just so good. I saw someone in a video yesterday playing the Galaxy Map theme, Uncharted Worlds, on an organ, and it was amazing. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, So would recommend. But um, Mass Effect 2, as soon as I started playing it, I'm like, oh my god, I'm hooked already again. Like, I've played this game so many times, but already I'm doing the first few missions, and I'm like, oh yeah, this game is amazing. Yeah, like, like I, home. Yeah, yeah, I, I played this game multiple times, it's nothing new, like, however, I'm just starting again, and I'm like, I haven't felt this way about a video game in a long time in terms of like, I just want to come back to it over and over again. Like I don't want, I had to stop myself playing so I could go to sleep like, like an adult. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's just, it's just, oh, chef's kiss. It's just so good. So um, yeah, (laughs) Uh, I'm looking forward to playing more of that. Um, Yeah, that's about it. That's my... That's my week, baby. All right. Let's move on over to news. Uh, actually, before we get into news, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna tease something right now, uh, which, which we've got coming up tomorrow uh, <gasps> here on YouTube.com. This is very exciting. <laughs> uh, or if you're listening to this on Catch Up, it's already live. So, hey, go and treat yourself like after you finish this. Not right now. Finish this podcast first, then go treat mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. Um, but over the last few weeks, uh, Alex Lowley's... Uh, oh. Alex Lowley's has become our, our own Greg Davies, yeah. <laughs> and we have produced our own Dicebreaker Taskmaster. Um, of course, it's not, not... Taskmaster, it's, yeah. you know, legally distinct, yada, yada, yada. Um, Do not sue. <laughs> taskbreaker, etc. Um, but yeah, it is, it's quite something. Um, so the rest of the team uh, was was given tasks by Lowly's uh, secretly to go and do, and we, we did not know what uh all of the others had done until we sat down to watch them together and recorded our reactions uh and then that is also part of the video that will go live tomorrow and it is yeah i mean it's, it's incredible, incredible right? Lo- the yeah. tasks that lolis came up with were just the perfect kind of this is ingenious and this is just devious mm-hmm. uh yeah like the perfect combination of entertaining and hugely embarrassing for the people having to do them um but yeah i had an absolute blast i had a blast seeing what everyone else did it's maybe one of well it definitely is one of my favorite videos that we've ever done um yeah it's brilliant as someone who's waved goodbye tearfully to their dignity a long time ago (laughs) i was dreadfully embarrassed like doing this and also watching like other people watching me do it so you're in for a treat, viewers. Honestly, really, you should watch it. It Lodi's has put so much work into this, and it's an incredible job. And if you like this, we might do more. <laughs> we might do more. But, <laughs> yes. um, yeah, it's it's great. It's great stuff. So watch that tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, as the dicebreaker person in the chat has said, 3 p.m. tomorrow premiere. Yes, BST, um, that is. BST, yeah. So um, do not miss. 
yeah, it's it's really something. Uh, also, while we're plugging stuff, I'm wearing this fantastic T-shirt. Uh, yeah. Uh, designed by M. Haller, who does some fantastic work for for the Dicebreaker merch. But um, our, our new merch is up uh, over on the merch shop, which you can find. It's probably easier just to look in the description and click the link there. There'll be a description mm -hmm. underneath. Um, but yeah, some really, really fun designs. I wear them all the time. Uh, and not just because I'm plugging them to literally everyone I meet. Uh, all right. Let's move on to news. Chase we've had, we've been had our Chase has been gone. Chase has been overrun by cats. Both of my cats have shown up. <laughs> I will, hopefully they'll settle down. If not, I'll... Uh, your cats are adorable, Chase. Uh, just every time you post something in the Slack, oh, it's like... They're darlings. Uh, all right. right news. I'm in the chopper, Matt. Come let's on. Talk I've got about, limited time. If you missed it, it's Gen Con week this week. Uh, we are obviously not out at Gen Con uh, because we made the decision not to go this uh, year. We will be, assuming that all things are safe and well, we will be at Essen next month. Uh, so we'll be bringing some reporting from there because it's a bit closer to the UK and there. Mm. Therefore, we, you know, it's a bit easier for yeah. us to get to and kind of just take it, take it easy and make sure that uh, we're doing all right. But Gen Con is happening uh, out in Indianapolis. Uh, and there's already been, uh, so I think the show officially opened today. Um, yeah. But Fantasy Flight, uh, the big publisher behind things like Arkham Horror, Twilight Imperium, a lot of Star Wars games, a lot of Lord of the Rings games, a lot of Game of Thrones games, a lot of Marvel games, da 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 da. Long list yeah. of IP, stuff. Yeah. yeah, they love IP. Um, they did their in flight report uh, stream. Kind of, I think it is technically part of Gen Con Online, which is happening at the same time as Gen Con. And there are yeah. a lot of kind of interesting news to come out. I don't think nothing huge, but yeah. a lot of like interesting kind of things. So I've gathered them all together so we can kind of chat about them um, because no doubt we'll see some more stuff to come out of Gen Con um, very soon. <laughs> Chase um, is I'm, doing a mat. <laughs> yeah. Chase, honestly, it's, it is. Awesome. I, I put it up on you. It's your responsibility today to keep the cats in check. Um, so I'll, we'll blast through these quickly, and then we'll we'll chat about Gen Con in general because I think it's it's an interesting show for the industry and the hobby because it's kind of one of the first really big shows to return in person. Mm -hmm. um, we obviously had UK Games Expo over the summer here in the UK, um, mm -hmm. but in terms of the the real biggies, it's kind of Gen Con, it's Essen. Um, so yeah, uh, but blasting through this news, there's a yep. new Star Wars Outer Rim expansion two years after Star Wars Outer Rim came out. Um, for those not familiar, Star Wars Outer Rim, you play as basically rogue scoundrels, scum and villainy. Uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a really interesting game. It's kind of, I suppose you could say it's open world, sandboxy. You play as a character, so you could be Han Solo, you could be Lando, you could be Jyn Erso. Um, but the fun of it is you kind of get to remix stuff together. So you could be Han Solo, but you could be flying like Django Fett ship, and then you could have Greedo as your companion. It just kind of lets you do that. And you want to match up. <laughs> kind of like you were saying about Orbital Blues, um, Chase, is the whole point of it is you kind of start with nothing. Like you start with mm -hmm. like the the equivalent of like kind of an old banger of a spaceship and no credits. And you the whole kind of thing of the game is you go out, you take contracts. Uh, which can be smuggling stuff, delivering stuff, uh, either eliminating or capturing contra uh, contracts, which you, I think it's been a while since I played, but I think you can decide whether to do that kind of on the fly. So it's like, uh, I don't have time to transport you back. So zap, uh, I'll, nice, take, yeah. I'll take the just or dead part Harsh. of the wanted dead or alive. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really interesting game, but um, I reviewed it originally when it came out. And the problem with it, and I think this was shared by a number of other people, 
is that for like an ostensibly open world game is there just wasn't a lot of content it's like after a few plays you kind of saw mm. everything it had to offer and the deck of events that was in the box was numbered and then had a gap between numbers as if to say one day we'll put an expansion here Mm. Um, yeah, expansion classic. goes here. Yeah, yeah. and it's classic taking, fantasy flight way. Taken them two years, and they they have said that you know they they've made some comments over the last few years about slowing down their expansions um, because it's been much criticised. The fact they've just kind of pump pump out a load of expansions for every game. Mm. Yeah, so it's worth saying we don't really know a lot about this expansion um, other than it's called Unfinished Business and it's coming out at some point in the future. Uh, during the whole stream, they said. There's no release dates attached to anything because of the ongoing shipping crisis that yeah. continues to just kind of really take a big um, yeah. hit on the industry. And to be honest, like, I think kind of global global industries as a whole, not just tabletop stuff, um, but anything dependent on physical goods. Um, it's it's been a really tough um, few months, and I'm sure it will continue to be tough. Um, so I kind of appreciate that they just held their hands up and said, you know, we don't know when this will be out. Um, but yeah, I think Outer Rim needs an expansion, whether it needed an expansion two years ago instead of now, um, or whether, let's say, that stuff should have just been in the box and maybe it should have felt like a more kind of fully, mm. uh, you know, complete mm. game at the time. Indeed. Is perhaps uh, a significant question, but... The name's a little tongue-in-cheek in that regard. <laughs> yeah, Unfinished Business does feel like they just, uh, yeah, they're kind of taking it on the chin a bit. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what that is. I assume it will just be more stuff for that game because that's what people want. So we'll find out. Um, there are new Arkham Horror sets. I think we we heard whisper of these, or they kind of mentioned these a few months back, right, Mian? Nope. Oh, this is new. <laughs> uh, I would know, Matt Jarvis. I am the Arkham <laughs> Horror correspondent official. Uh, that's my title at Dicebreaker. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so these aren't technically new expansions. Um, they so what Fancy Flight are doing now is uh, as they so you might be thinking of the fact that they uh, re well they're going to release Edge of the Edge of the Earth, which is a new expansion, but they're releasing it in a entirely new form. So they're not doing Mythos packs anymore. Uh, which were like the little scenario packs that they would release every so often that would then form to create like a whole storyline. So if you missed any, then you were kind of screwed. Mm. Um, now they're just doing complete expansions, which I think is a much better way of doing this because yeah. it's much fairer. And obviously, like not everyone can get available of things, especially with the way that shipping's working right now. So uh, just like Edge of the Earth, they're releasing uh, an old expansion, the Dunwich Legacy. Mm. Which was released as a Mythos cycle and I believe as an expansion. I think it might have but even now... been the first one, right? I think it may have been the very Maybe first. Maybe I don't want to. So these since I played. viewers, uh, listeners, uh, the tabletop gaming industry is a very complicated space, and a lot of the time, information is hard to come by mm -hmm. uh, because they're just like, uh, yeah, this sort of came out. Maybe like, but then this little weird thing snuck out as well. So you can't really take anything for granted. But I think this is one of their big sort of mythos cycles. Uh, and they're releasing it as two separate big expansions. Um, uh, so as an investigator expansion and as a campaign expansion. So you can get the characters or you can get the story or both. Uh, which again is kind of good because it gives people options. But obviously if you want both, you could be spending a bit more money. 
Um, but um, yeah, so if you already own like all the Mythos packs, there's nothing new here for you. So this is just a way of getting people into the game, which makes sense considering that they put out a reprint of the core set recently as well, or it's not come out, it's going to come out. So they're kind of revising this, which you know, is great because it's hard to get into these living card games a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, they're doing that. And they're also, um, there is a scenario pack that's coming out. Uh, so it's a standalone thing. So it's not like this and this and this. It's its own thing, which they kind of do as like a special thing for like Gen Con as an event called Machinations Through Time. And it's like a time traveling thing set in like uh, Arkham, the city of Arkham, uh, which looks neat. But again, it's it's totally optional. So uh, that's happening with Arkham Horror, um, which leads nicely into what's going on with Lord of the Rings as well. <laughs> Mm, which is back uh, off hiatus, right? It's been yeah it's been a year, a couple of years since they kind of said yeah. we're taking a pause. Yeah, so this is a fun little thing. Uh, I did an interview with Lord of the Rings, the card game creators, early this year, which you can read on dicebreaker.com. It's a very good interview because it basically talks about like Matt laughing at me. No, no, I like you're completely right, but yeah, no, I absolutely respect the thing of like, yeah, you know what, I know. I'm hustling, yeah, yeah, you did, like you know that interview. <laughs> um, it was mostly a really good interview because it give it gave me and readers an insight into like where did living card games start and like why do they exist because now they're such a big part of Fantasy Flights. Kind of, they're clearly massively like investing in them and focusing yeah. on them. And they've done they've done them very well, like for business. So it's just really intriguing to kind of see like where did this idea even come from? And like Lord of the Rings is the one that started it. Like that was the very beginning. It's a decade old now. And when I spoke to them, they were very cagey about like what's going on with Lord of the Rings now. Because I was like, oh, it's is it still in hiatus? What's the plan? And they were like, oh, we haven't got any new plans but something's going to happen. And I'm like, okay, well, this is clearly what they were hinting at because they announced during the event that essentially Northern Rings is being re revived with uh, a revised version of the core set, uh, kind of similar to what they're doing with Arkham. But here it makes a lot of sense because this game's been on hiatus. It's also 10 years old and there is a lot of stuff for Lord of the Rings. Um, so yeah, they're re-releasing the original core set there are going to be some new things included in this core set. But actually, kind of a neat thing they're doing is providing print and play versions of the everything new they're putting in the core set. So if you already own the original, you can print out these things for free. So you don't need to buy the new core set if you want to try the new cards. So that's kind of a neat thing that they're doing. Mm. Um, and they're also planning to re-release old expansions or cycles for Lord of the Rings, they're not going to do everyone like they're doing with Arkham. They are just going to do select ones because, again, there is a lot of Lord of the Rings stuff. And also, I think they're testing the waters a lot more with Lord of the Rings because it's not as popular as Arkham. Um, but they're re-releasing... Oh, my goodness. They haven't specifically stated which ones they are, but they're just to expect them. Um, but, yeah, uh, where's... Oh, there's my story. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, they're also putting out a scenario pack that was originally included in a weird little starter limited edition thing that they put out uh, called The Dark of Mirkwood. 
Um, so you can check that again. No, uh, they just said early next year. So same with Arkham. So keep an That's, eye out. But yeah. it's nice that they're kind of providing players with an easier way of getting into these games again because they do kind of suffer from bloat. That's what I call it, just bloat from like yeah, expansions. it's just like kind of a relentless uh, yeah release cycle, right? It's like I like both of those games. I played them, yeah. but I never kept up with just the sheer amount of stuff coming out. But a self-contained set of like, here's a story yeah. in the Arkham yeah. Horror card game is kind of perfect. This is what me. they're doing now. They are mm. dumping the, the cycle thing, which I very much approve of, because obviously less sit- shipping, but also like, it's just more accessible for people who, you know, want to get into the game uh, and stuff like that. So I'm all for it. Uh-huh. That's good stuff. Um, yeah. Do we have anything else? Um, yeah, so there were a couple of other quick oh, ones. Yes. They hinted that, uh, Fancy Flight hinted that they were looking into a legacy game. So um, Nate French, um, one of the designers over there, kind of chatted about their R&D uh, efforts, um, but was very upfront in saying, hey, this doesn't mean we're going to make a legacy game, but it does mean that we're looking into one. And it sounds like they've been looking into one quite kind of um, intensely. Like they've been really, uh, there was discussion of, looking for what they call uh i think it's like original legacy moments which is like a very kind of like well media trained phrase um but there is an interesting thing of fantasy flight has never done a legacy game fully there was there was an android netrunner expansion terminal directive uh that had kind of legacy elements but i think it stands out as one of the few publishers that's just never really dipped its toe in um and i think given the ip it has there are some really exciting kind of possibilities around legacy. I mean, imagine something like an Arkham Horror legacy game, right? Or, you know, or like Mansions of Madness or Twilight Imperium or whatever it may be. I think they've got these really good kind of characters and worlds that would lend themselves to a kind of like bigger campaign style game that has like an evolving world attached to it. So, Mm. yeah, I think, so um, French was saying that they're looking into it and was kind of saying, oh, it's very positive um what we've looked at so far i think if things continue to go this way then in the future you you're likely to see something so like i say confirming nothing but i think it's just an interesting um observation because i think for some folks me included at points it's been like legacy games done have they passed their their kind of fad Uh, yeah we've had like more pandemic legacy but obviously that's the one series that really took off um, but outside of that, there have been very few successes on that kind of scale, like Betrayal Legacy, you could say. But then things that aren't attached to a kind of big IP, we just haven't seen get the same reception. So mm. if if a studio can make it work, it's probably Fantasy Flight. Yeah, um, I'd say, yeah. And uh, uh, The last little bit of news for me is that Marvel Champions getting a Spider-Man expansion. Yeah. <laughs> Which looks Spider-Man. cool. Oh, yeah, a lot of Spider Spider Man's in it. Yeah, well, there's like, gonna be Mar- yeah, oh, like Spider Verse yeah. kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah basically they they basically name dropped Spider Verse and was just yeah. like, oh, Mark Morales, Spider Gwen's gonna be in it. Uh, some baddies like Sandman and Venom is in it as well, so that's cool. Yeah, uh, and they also teased the first Descent expansion, which is called Ghost of uh, Grave something, Gray Gray something. Greyhaven, Ghost of Greyhaven, I think is what it's called. And they, like say, I said earlier, they confirmed that they're developing Act 2. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, more Descent to come. They're all in on Descent, which makes sense, given how much that game must have cost to make, given that they Ooh. priced it at 175 yeah. quid. Uh, so they're all in on that. 
But well, what's going on with Gen Con, Matt Jarvis? What's well, going this on is with yeah. So, like I say, this this all kind of took place just before Gen Con. But I wanted to chase. You wrote a, a very good story for the uh, website, which went live just before we hopped on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But I think it's worth acknowledging that Gen Con is kind of like I say, like outside of the Games Expo here in the UK, which is kind of on a different scale. Um, it's the first real big return of a physical event. Um, major physical event for for hobby games and is kind of i think seen by quite a few people as almost like a test bed of how things may go obviously coming out of the the pandemic and there's there was a lot of talk in the run-up to gen con about obviously the approach to social distancing at one point they were allowing folks to attend and if you'd been vaccinated you didn't have to wear a mask and then they reversed that decision and said actually no everyone has to wear a mask and we're looking into vaccination for entry but that um ultimately didn't pan out and then uh, going by today's opening, it seems that uh, there's some kind of like slightly concerning uh, mm. kind of lack of lack of enforcement, I guess you could say, or just kind of it doesn't seem like it's as well kind of structured or um, yeah. Uh, speaking speaking for myself, it looks kind of like a mess. Like yeah. there's a lot of people yeah. that aren't social distancing. There's a there's like apparently. Uh, allegedly not a lot of kind of checking going on in terms of enforcing masks and and so on so it feels like in some ways all of the discussion of safety was for naught yeah it's a you should go read the story i try to do my best to just sort of like lay out what people have been saying Uh, a lot of this discussion is going on uh in social media online spaces so twitter uh facebook groups and stuff like that where people sort of post (laughs) you just watch watching xavier like put his little ears up in the corner um, he's happy right here. That's fine. No, cost that, the least sorry, Chase. There was, was, was a classic. Well, yeah. yeah, there was a classic Matt Jarvis lift. She did um, a loop. Oh, beautiful. Um, so yeah. So um, yeah. So basically, the way it, it seemed to have gone down, gone down yesterday for the opening day, um, as people were like sort of lined up outside the main door, like halls of the uh, exhibition hall to get in, um, the crowd just sort of gathered the way crowds do. Uh, so much like like people just sort of were packed together. There was no social distancing. It looked, I looked at a lot of photos and a lot of videos and it looked like people were, were wearing masks. And from other accounts, it seems like folks generally are abiding by that that one policy. Um, but getting into the hall, there's just bodies put together. It's like any convention you've gone to and they opened one door and just sort of let like two lines of people through. So they created a natural bottleneck for everyone just to sort of smash together right down there by the doors. That is opposed to once people got into the hall from the contributor or from the uh, exhibitors and the attendees I've seen posts online said that like folks generally were on their best behavior. Um, I've seen some people say they wish that um, the uh, exhibitors had more space between their booths, but overall, generally things seem okay inside. But I think what all of this, and if you read the story and see all the sort of evidence I've put together, what this sort of points to is that what Gen Con was allowed to enforce was just not enough to ensure safety. Like they were just not giving a, given enough like tools. And largely the big critical thing here is that they were not given the support of local or state like enforcement, like Indianapolis, Indianapolis and Indiana itself, like the state just isn't enforcing these sort of things. Um, the state itself, I believe has like a 49% vaccination rate. They're at like 7,000 cases of new cases a week sort of thing. Um, it's just sort of a, a, a recipe for failure 
without Gen Con being able to do really anything. And I don't want to mm-hmm. like I don't I don't want to just totally excuse. They seem like the the people who work at Gen Con from what I've seen, like the staff workers, the people who are there on the floor are probably doing everything that they can. But the folks in charge, like Gen Con, the organization, I I cannot say we have reached out for comment. We haven't really gotten much as far as a response. I know, Matt, you like the, the response was just sort of like, you know, boilerplate language from them. Um, they just they just didn't get enough uh, ahead of the ahead of this event. Like there was just not enough safety precautions put forward. Like a lot of folks are really criticizing them for not getting that vaccination mandate because Essence Beal is going to have that. Correct. Mm, like, yeah. We have a story on the site that talk like you you say like uh, as early as like I believe it was July or September or mm-hmm. August they said there is going to be a vaccination requirement yep. or you need to show that you tested negative like two week up to two weeks before the show to even get in the doors and Gen Con just doesn't have any of that yeah it, I think when when Gen Con would discuss it it was kind of said like oh we're looking into it if we can legally so again like you say like it's not necessarily a gen con's door some of this like let's say they can't be excused completely either because the decisions to you know previous decisions that they then reversed on that kind of came from the organization itself yeah but in terms of the vaccination thing that appears to be a like a bigger thing like of state kind of le- uh, legislation and um and so on mm-hmm. but, uh yeah and then like you say like compared to eschen spiel which seems to be because we had uk games expo in the the uk um which kind of took a different line as well and was much criticized for it before they then mm-hmm. again reversed on it and said oh actually you do need to wear masks um but i again i think they eventually required proof of vaccination perhaps i can't remember exactly but Eschenspiel definitely seems to be taking the hardest line of you have to prove immunization um also masks are mandatory for everyone yeah um, yeah also, I mean, they're a... not selling weekend tickets. You can only buy day tickets because I believe they're trying to bring the numbers down. So it's, yeah, yeah we're kind of seeing different approaches that are fall at different kind of points on the scale of reaction to this. Mm, like that, that is pretty much the one of the main reasons we're even going to go to Essen. Like besides the fact that it's a lot closer than Gen Con and there's a lot more going on at Essen, it looks like as well. Like the fact that they're even putting these measures in place means that we feel a lot, we feel more confident <laughs> to go to Essen than we would ever feel going to Gen Con. And I think, you know, these images and videos, as much as they might be, uh, you know, not 100% accurate or that there might be some sort of differing opinions, certainly show like, hey, there's some things to be concerned about here. Mm-hmm. Um, and all, all that we can hope for, I think, is that they learn from this. And it'll be interesting to see the kind of results of this and like, you know, whether people are going to be more cautious about it and everything. So, yeah, not not great. <laughs> yeah, I think like the takeaway from this first day of Gen Con, uh, like you said, Mian, that like accounts vary. And I, I don't want to say that anyone's trying to drum up like drama or anything like that. It, it, it literally is just like different views of different experiences, whether you're a vendor, whether you're an attendee. But what it truly shows, like the videos and the and the photos of like that sort of crowd outside and as they bottle in is like, if you're someone who has been taking this seriously and like trying, if you're someone who's immunocompromised or, you know, uh, any sort of like disabled people who like need to really take this seriously for their own safety, you look at these photos and these videos and you're like, you're this like... is this is nightmare scenario sort of mm. stuff. Yeah. Like this is, I, I am not going to attend an event for the future because this is still going on. I think what this shows is that well-meaning behavior and sort of best practices 
without any sort of like legal backing for a lot of folks, just it, it's never enough. I'm sure like the, the vast majority of folks at Gen Con probably do mean well and want to keep everyone's safety, but human behavior, especially in a crowd, you have to have strong, strict measures to try to keep everyone safe. There's it's, there's no alternative for that. Yeah. Agreed. That'd be interesting. It's yeah. I like you say, I, I like place no play on like the staff at these events or exhibitors attending who for, for many, you know, events is often like a lifeline of, mm-hmm. of making, that's where you get your money, like selling directly to people. And it's kind of a, like, it's a necessary thing at this point. It's been such a hard year that like you can't really um, like blame anyone for like, for being optimistic about and being like my business needs totally. this. But yeah, at some point, you know, the buck stops like much higher than that at like a state level or a organizer level or wherever it may be about, yeah, just doing all that you can to to make people comfortable and safe at the end of the day, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. and like I say, even if you take, sometimes even if you take the very best kind of intentions, it doesn't always pan out. But yeah, it's, it it is definitely uh, concerning in a lot of ways. all right, uh, let's move on to some emails from the audience. Uh, if you've got an email for the Dicebreaker podcast, you can email podcast at dicebreaker.com. Hey, if you're in the chat, drop it in the chat and we might pick it up. We might pick it up this week or we might pick it up next week or the week after yeah. that, but we will yeah. pick it up. If you want to ask us a question, we will have a look through. Uh, Chase, would you like to read this one from Kelsey, please? Yeah. Hello, my name is Kelsey Connor. My husband and I love watching your channel, and you guys have introduced us to so many of our now favorite board games. A question we have been throwing around lately and would love to know your thoughts and ideas is, do you guys implement, sorry, my cat jumped on the keyboard. Do you guys implement any sort of house rules for any board games? Thank you guys, Kelsey. Yeah, thanks, Kelsey. I'll say that I cut this email down a bit because Kelsey was kind enough to kind of detail a house rule for Ticket to Ride that they play. Um, But I cut it down just for the sake of the podcast, but I did read through it and it was very interesting. So thank you, Kelsey. Uh, But yeah, house rules. I think this is like an interesting question, right? It's like there are definitely games where I have, and sometimes it can just depend on the evening. We'll be like, oh, like we'll knock this rule out or we'll play like a slightly different variant of this because of how many people there are or how much time we have to spare. Um, like with Love Letter, I don't think we ever play the actual scoring mechanism and things like that, which isn't so much a house rule, but it's just one of those things of uh, we play till we get bored and it doesn't really matter who's got the most tokens in front of them. We'll just yeah. keep going. Um, so there are there are a lot of games like that. In terms of like full-on house rules, I'm genuinely struggling to think of any that I use. Maybe that's because of the job. Um, because like I'm often playing things that I then communicate to an audience and want to make sure that I'm getting the you know the rules as written across. Mm. Um, but I I definitely can't remember the last time that I played like a, a significant modification of anything. How about you both? Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Chase. No, I have nothing. You have so nothing. You okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean there are certain rules we have for specific games just to make them more enjoyable. So like Betrayal, for example, if if we come across a haunt that we've done before or looks rubbish, then we will just be like, okay, screw that. We're going mm, to deliberately yeah. like, you know, ra- either randomly select another one or like just choose one that we'd rather do. Uh, obviously, it depends on what items you might have. 
but like it's not hard to modify things just because that game is so so dependent on like the quality of the haunt if there are ones that are just rubbish then it's just not a good experience uh is that the uh, shadow hunters is a game we really like but it is broken and stupid uh we kind of love that but there are certain characters we will not allow people to play because because they're they're so broken and stupid that it's just makes it too broken and stupid <laughs> there's a level of that game that's just like you've got to yeah <laughs> you've got to make minor adjustments to make it more enjoyable um I'm trying to think of other specific house rules we have for certain games that are like Telly Strengthens is another one um where like if there are certain you randomly pick like a topic but if the topic is rubbish or like you don't know what it is or something then you have free reign to pick something that you think is going to be better a lot of the time we just have house rules for certain games just to try and make sure we have a more fun time mm-hmm. And they're usually for games that we've played enough mm. of that, like, okay, we know that this works. Like, um, yeah, so there you go. We would never implement house rules just, like, to be like, the game works more efficiently like this. It's more like we know it's more fun when you do it like this. So, Yeah, well, like you say, you cater it to your group, right? It's like D&D. I've never played with a D&D group that uses something like endurance, uh, not endurance, encumbrance. Encumbrance. Yeah, yeah encumbrance. And, no one plays with encumbrance. Yeah, and I think or that's, should. again, that's one of those things, like I'm sure there are a lot of RPGs where I've knocked out rules where it's like, eh, this just isn't, this just isn't what my group is looking for. Like if, a, yeah. if there is a group that wants to count the arrows in their quiver, that's all fine. But for my group, it's just, yeah, have infinity quiver. It's fine. Mm. There are those systems like, okay, uh, I, I to go back. I'm going to punt on examples because I'm less of a board gamer than I am an RPG player. Uh, and questions like this really show my bias in that. Like most of the time, whenever I'm playing games, I play them so I, I guess less infrequently than probably you two. That uh, the experience is I don't do it enough to sort of alter it. And any house rules that we do, I will just say upfront, I'm always an advocate for house rules. Like if it doesn't completely break the game and make it unplayable, do what is ever going to be most fun for your group. Like you have my blessing. Yeah. No, I am not. I am not here to police anybody's like sticking to the rules. Mm. That said, I will say, I, I, I believe that there are games and systems that are not D and D that if you want to play with encumbrance and sort of counting your arrows, embrace that as like a really important, impactful part of the system, and you should seek those out versus trying to shoehorn them into an already kind of <clears throat> bloated system that is D and D. Yeah, I. You got me thinking. There was a video game. I think it came out recently. Uh, where I believe you can start with a gun, but the gun only has something like four bullets in it. And you can, I believe, use those bullets at any point. But I think that's like a really interesting case of, you know, where counting ammunition, counting bullets, arrows, whatever it may be, when it becomes such a central part of the decision-making thing of, okay, I only have four of these for my entire experience with this game, so I really have to consider, rather than just being like, ah... I'll just like sink as many shots as I need to and then yeah. worry about it later. There's a character in Invisible Ink, the video game Invisible Ink that has that, where you can like choose a gun as the weapon, which is a, it's all about like stealth. Um, but if you choose a gun, like you have six bullets over the entire run of the game. So how you choose to use Maybe those six something. bullets are like really impactful, uh, which is cool. I think it's a cool way to kind of uh, approach that. Yeah. But yeah, thank you, Kelsey. Uh, Alex Meehan, would Hello, you like yeah. to read this one from John, please? John's email. There it is. <laughs> Take that box. Yeah. 
tick the bingo, the drinking dice break drinking game, brackets, <laughs> please drink responsibly. Um, yeah, you can cross that off. Uh, hello, dice breaker team. Do you know of any good mystery RPGs, not card or board games, out there that have good mechanics that assist the GM in creating whodunit scenarios, though also robust enough to ensure that players don't get too far off track when solving? I think that was a cat noise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's really interesting. I was actually reading about uh, a murder mystery RPG today. Gosh, what's it called? Because uh, I was writing a lovely news story about a new RPG called um, Flabbergasted, which looks really mm, good. And it yes. basically yep, looks like right. it was invented for me. <laughs> it is extremely me and content. <laughs> it's such me and content that like Chase was like, oh, me and. <laughs> <laughs> this is just you, right? <laughs> like, I think we, I think we both were like, you have to take this. You have to write about this one. Yeah, I get called out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I get, and I'm like, to be honest, it's almost always 99% accurate, anyway. But no, uh, it's by the creators called One, The Wanderer's Tome, uh, and they've done uh, an RPG called Murder at God's Grave Creep. No, Murder at God's Grave Keep. Blech. Uh, which is literally described as like a murder mystery RPG. So uh, that was interesting that I, I read today. Uh, other than that, do I know any specific ones? Uh, I know. <laughs> Matt, do you have Chase? an answer? I definitely have an answer, but yeah, I'll let you Chase go first. Will undoubtedly uh, have an answer. Uh, not so much a specific answer, but I, I've mentioned Trail of Cthulhu before, and I really like the gumshoe system as a as a system for kind of mystery-led um, RPG sessions. And I think the reason is that the way it works is you have a pool of points and certain skills. And if you have points in those skills, you kind of already know them because you're knowledgeable in them. So you always get the clues that you need. So I think that that, where you say like not getting off track, I think that that's a really good thing because the GM doesn't have to then like circuit, like if someone biffs a role, they don't suddenly forget all the knowledge that they've acquired about something. It's, you know, it's more a case of, oh, of course you know that because you are already knowledgeable about, you know, hieroglyphics or Grecian architecture or whatever it may be. But then you can spend points and they are finite points. So you like cross them off and go down, but you can spend points from those categories to basically gain more information. So you always get exactly enough information to proceed with the story and the mystery. But you can choose, I guess when we were talking about, you know, finite ammunition, it's almost like that. You can choose when to spend those points at critical moments when you believe that a clue is really important and you can just get that extra level of detail that might help you. Um, so, yeah, I think Gumshoe, Gumshoe is a really, really great system. So if you're looking to run like a kind of detective game, uh, also only uses 1d6, which is great. Mm -hmm. A single d6. What a fantastic system. What's your answer, Chase? I have two answers and they're related. The first is Brindlewood Bay, um, mm. which is a uh, a game by, I need to look up the actual, it's from the the person who did uh, the gauntlet. Um, I, I'm sorry, I cannot pull that name right now. Um, but like the gauntlet podcast and a lot of other content, uh, the, the folks behind that came up with Brindlewood Bay, which is you play as like a group of uh, matronly grandmothers uh, solving a, <laughs> solving a, solving a mystery in a small town and it's uh the the horrors are always like sort of like cosmic horror related so there's some deep like 
mystery stuff. They do a really good job of stepping around the sort of like, uh, if you're parts of the Cthulhu Mythos and Love Lovecraft's influence on that, um, the whole like vibe, like if there's sort of like a stress mechanic where you get conditions, and you have to do something cozy to clear them, like knitting oh. or making making tea for <laughs> folks. Um, but it it is like very much like a sort of a horror game where there are some dark moments. The cool thing about the game, and this sort of sidesteps the whole like question that the question asker is like sort of getting at is like oh that give the gm tools the tool that it gives the gm is that you don't have to decide who did it um the players will collect uh clues and sort of meet npcs you don't have like a, a definitive answer it's not like clue where you put the cards in the little notebook at the beginning of the game and then that's revealed at the end the players will reveal clues through their play and then at the end they will make a role it's again it's a very simple game it has some ppda roots to it um but at the end, they will use the clues that they've uh, amassed to make a role. And the more clues they've they've sort of brought together, the better they do on this role to sort of see if their hypothesis or correct or not. So really, all the GM is doing is facilitating the, the characters being able to continue this mystery, to keep it spooky, to keep it kind of dangerous, but also keep them on track and keep the mystery going. So in that way, like the GM, it takes the it takes the load of actually creating a mystery This sort of like, you know, cause mysteries are puzzle boxes that have to be solved. It takes all of that stress off of the GM where you're just facilitating a good time. And I think that really works because it allows everyone to sort of facilitate and create a mystery together. That is still, at least from like the, the sort of playthroughs I've seen in red and my own reading of the rules is really satisfying. Like it is just still a very good time. My second answer is a game that is based off of Brindlewood Bay, which is a sort of, it's called Carve from Brindlewood, which is just a, a very nice term. There's actually quite a few games if you want to search on itch for Carve from Brindlewood. It is a game from Alicia Furness called um, Paranormal Inc. And I think we've talked about this in the new Slack. This one doesn't have a GM. It's just two to five players that are all like struggling paranormal investigators. Uh, and you use the Brindlewood system to solve ghost stories solve ghost mysteries and sort of like the um what is the video game um that does this where you're a you're ghost hunters and you go into a house and, yeah it's it's sort uh, of phasmophobia oh, as, yeah. as a tabletop rpg oh, where cool. you're you're broke struggling paranormal investigators with like hand-me-down jank tools uh and different skills like someone is like a seancer someone is a the like the sort of cynic someone's the the like private investigator, the journalist, and you use these different skills to collect enough clues to point to what the ghost is, why they're haunting this place, and how you might be able to like usher them onto the next life or otherwise sort of clear this clear this mm. area that they're haunting. Uh, but it uses a lot of those same things, and this one doesn't have a GM. So if you totally want to eschew someone having to take that facilitator role, uh, Paranormal Inc. is a good choice. So I think both of those would be really up your alley. Mm. Cool. Nice stuff. But thank you for your question. Thank yeah. you both, Chase and me, and for your answers. But that is just about all the time we've got for got for got for this week's Icebreaker podcast. Look, it's like four o'clock on a Friday. It's been a busy news week of Gen Con. Mm -hmm. I've used all the words I have left. I am just a dripping tap with the last few syllables squeezed and clean. Uh, we will be back next Friday at <gasps> two p.m. BST live. Uh, mm. If you want to catch the audio version of this, you can do. It goes up each Monday. Uh, you can find it on things like Spotify and iTunes, or there's the RSS feed if you just prefer it to, to add it to your own media, media player. Um, as we've before, you should really go, really honestly, go check out um, uh, 
Taskbreaker, which I think we're not actually calling it that, but we've kind of just called it that as a fun name. Um, you should go and check yeah. that out tomorrow. It really is something like Lolis has done an incredible job, and like the team are hilarious throughout. Um, of course, if you're at Gen Con, you know, stay safe, um, mask up, like be courteous to others, and look after yourself and everyone around you. Um, if you're not, like, hope you have a safe weekend, look after yourselves. Thank you once again to Chase Carter. Thank you for being here, Chase, as always. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. If you want to read Chase's work, you can obviously find it on dicebreaker.com. Uh, or Chase, do you want to plug your Twitter? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I talk about basically just games and what I'm doing at Dicebreaker. It's at Chase Writes. And of course, Alex Meehan, no stranger to the Dicebreaker uh, community. Thank you for being here as well. Uh, folks can go find some of your fantastic work also on the site. And obviously on the YouTube channel as well. Uh, I've been Matt Jarvis. We will be back, as I say, next Friday. But until then, stay safe out there, look after yourselves, and have a lovely day. Goodbye.